0: You're listening to another hope filled podcast from life. For more information about our church, visit lifenz.org. Well, good morning. Please, please be seated. It's so good to see you. It's so nice to be somewhere where there's sunshine and warmth. It's going to be a great, uh, great weekend. I'm, I'm really looking forward to connecting with you, getting to know you, hanging out, eating medium warm toast, halfway in between. And, um, you know, we've had the privilege of knowing Pastor Craig and Nadia for, I think it's 15 years. Yeah. And you have real pastors, right? Some of us have got other grace gifts, but we have a title pastor. But these guys are real pastors. They love you. Uh, they care for you. But they're an interesting blend because they are real pastors, but they're incredible visionary leaders. Uh, it's it's a rare combination. And um, this church reflects that, that you guys... What you will achieve, the, the, the level you will achieve things, but it won't be what you do only, it'll be who you be and who you become. Because when you've got pastors that want to shape you and form you and see you fulfill everything and become fully, fully whole, uh, fully Christ-like, as well as accomplishing things, you, you're in a very healthy environment. And I'm just looking forward to being part of that. I want to honor you guys. Um, I had the privilege over the last couple of nights of being with Pastor Paul and Marie. Uh, we combined together with a couple of other churches, a few other churches in Auckland for Open Heaven, just two nights of prayer meeting. It's a good sign in Auckland City when you hire a building, squish 3,000 people into it in the viaduct, and turn people away for prayer. Literally, had to turn people away. We had overflow rooms, and we had to Facebook Live. and It was great to hang out with pastors, Paul and Marie. We love them very much. You know, your theme is quite, quite amazing, John 16, 33. Uh, the whole theme of Overcome. And it's interesting, I want to just talk to you a little bit about that word overcome and what it means. The word used here in John sixteen thirty three 33, it's a Greek word, nikeo, to overcome. Christ doesn't just say, I have overcome. He says, I have now made you more than overcomers. And as Nadia so well put it, if we are contained in him, then we are what he is. And so this whole concept of him saying, I have overcome, means you have overcome. But I want to just for a very quick moment to set a foundation for where we go over these, these next couple of days. There are three elements to that word overcome or three facets. The first and its meaning, of course, is that sense of like a conquering from a military view. Like you have an opponent and you actually win, you succeed, you, you, you overcome. It's like a military type concept. The second facet or meaning of that word is to achieve. It's like when someone conquers Everest, when someone builds something, a dam, where they say that the terrain cannot handle it, when you build into a relationship that people said would never work. It's a sense of actually achievement. So you've got this opponent aspect, you've got this achievement aspect. And then third, the third facet of meaning is actually one which is taken out of like a legal or a judicial system, where you actually overcome means that you have gone through a process like a civil, more civil than criminal, but you've gone through a court case where everything has been argued out and weighed against each other and then full judgments and justice is determined and then you are awarded the victor. You win the case. Everything has been fulfilled. It's not just a case of, oh you got a lucky blow-in, or you, you managed to deck somebody onto the, you know, the 10 count on the, on the deck. It's a case of, no, everything was weighed up. Justice has been done, and a judgment has been made that said, you've overcome, yeah. you've won. Yeah. And so Christ has said, hey, in me, you and me, I've got this. Right. Yeah. And just the last little bit of teaching before we get into preaching, it says, he says, I've overcome this world. The Greek word for world there is cosmos. It's not just talking about the physical earth. It's not even just talking about, uh, you know, the the church and and the unbelievers. It literally means the sum total of all this stuff, the cosmos, relationships, emotions, your vocations, life, the fullness of of creation. He says, look, I've conquered this. and, And through like a justice, I've been awarded the victory in this. I've achieved this. And you and me. And what he's really saying to us is, hey, I got this. I've got this. You're like, well, God, you've done so much in my life, and, uh, but my relationships don't seem to be, be, be working. He's like, no, no, I've got this. That's part of the cosmos. It's, it's a sphere of life. And you and me are going to conquer. And so this morning, I want to I focus probably more on the second aspect, the sense of achieving. But I want to really pull this in together and think about your cosmos. Your world, what makes up your world, relationships, your vocation, your calling, your emotions, the way you think, the way you feel, everything that is in you. Ephesians 2.10 says you are his workmanship, created in Christ to do amazing things, good works, things that are are amazing, and, and that he has planned in advance for you to do, and so that's your cosmos, That's your world, the sum total of who you are, who you do it with, and what you do it with. And then he says, hey, I've got this. And if I've got this, you've got this. I'm going to talk to you about winning in life because I want to talk to you about how to build something. If you have a look at the first screen there, how are you going to build something? See, too many people in life are content to simply occupy a life rather than to build a life. We're content to occupy a life rather than to build it. So we just do life because we are living in it. It just happens. But there's a difference between people who set out to build a life and people who simply set out to occupy a life. I'm going to take you back to the very first mandate for mankind. I want to take you right back to the very garden. I want to take you back to where it all started at the beginning of creation. If you ever want to sort something out, go back to its origin. Go back to the Genesis of a moment. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says these words. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful. Increase in number. Fill this earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over every living creature. That's what theologians call the cultural mandate. It's like when God said, we're going to make this. And what we are today, here in, in Phillip Island, 2017, was established thousands and thousands of years ago when God said, this is my intention. I'm going to create mankind in our image. People say, what's my purpose in life? The first obvious purpose in life is to be image bearers. We were created in his image to bear his image. Everything else is secondary to that. What we do in our vocations, what we do in who we are, our relationships all come out of the fact that we're meant to represent his image. We've we got to be like God here on earth. And that's not just in his character, though that's a huge part. It's also in his nature. And God is a builder and a creator. He he sets things in motion. He he creates things with potential to be fully realized. And we are in his image. The reason I'm going to talk to you about building something is because within every single individual person is a desire to actually build something. If you have a look at the, the, we'll we'll jump a screen, go to the third screen. You don't have to teach a child to build something. It's in the nature and the character of a child. Put them on a beach with sand, walk away, and they come back, and they build a sandcastle. Put, put a kid into a field with daisies, walk away, come back, and they've created jewelry, like a daisy chain. There's this innate image of God where we've got to build something. But I want you to go back to screen two. And I want to understand, uh, show you something that's mostly misunderstood by a lot of believers. And the problem is we have English language, right, if we're, if we're speaking English. And the way the Bible has translated these words is accurate, but unfortunately with our modern language, it makes every one of those words that I mentioned be fruitful, multiply, increase. It makes it sound like one thing. That God's mandate was to stick mankind on the planet and then say, like a pair of rabbits, get into it. <laughs> multiply, fill the earth increase, as if it was all about procreation and and simply a numerical thing. But I want to take you on a journey this morning into the meaning of the mandate that will excite the life into you, okay? The first word that's used there where God said, he blessed them and said, be fruitful, increase, fill the earth, subdue. The first word there to be fruitful is the Hebrew word para. It means realize, realize, the potential that is within something. Now we say fruitful, because when you think about it, fruitfulness is simply realizing the potential within. You walk into an orchard in the middle of winter, you'll see a barren tree. You come back in spring or summer, this thing's laden with leaves and blossoms and fruit, and like no one went and stuck this stuff on it, right? No one had a whole lot of blue tack, right? Sneaked up in the middle of the night, stuck a whole lot of fruit onto this barren. No, no. That fruit was already in the tree. You're looking at it in winter. It, there's nothing there. And then in spring and summer, it becomes fruitful. It didn't just increase. It became fruitful. It realized the potential that was in it. God sticks us into this cosmos, this world, filled with relationships, things to achieve, things to do, emotions, people. People. Goals, visions, things to build, things to do in life, our callings, our vocations, our habits, our, our, our desires, our, our, our things that we are like attracted to and want to achieve. And he says, hey, go and realize that potential. The second word is the word "rabba," where it says, be one who increases. It means to become great. To become great. God has no ceilings. God's not afraid of height, right? And he says, I created you in my image to to realize the potential of everything I give you and actually become great, to increase. The third word there, which we use to uh, refer to as the word fill, right? Fill the earth and subdue it, is the word that means to replenish or to accomplish what has started. And then finally, the last one, which we know well, is to subdue, to rule, to have dominion or take control. When you put all that stuff together, it's like God says, this is what I want you to do. I'm going to bring you into this world and I'm going to give you a cosmos to overcome. And I want you to accomplish and fulfill its potential. I want you to make this thing great. I, I want you to see this thing actually accomplish what I intended. And I want you to have control. I want you to have response ability, the ability to respond to what I give you, to have dominion. Now, you might say, wow, that was an awesome mandate. Pity Adam and Eve screwed it up for us. But you see, if that mandate's narrative, if, if that mandate ended because of the fall of mankind some short moments later, we'd say, well, hey, didn't we miss out on a great promise? But the thing is, everywhere through Scripture... God restores that mandate each time he restores mankind. That language after the fall of mankind is repeated. Even after the flood, where it's like second restart, like reboot. It must have been a Windows-based system in creation, not a not a Mac-based, right? It was Control-Alt-Delete. Let, let's get Noah and the family. Let's have a second go at this. Let me read to you what God said to them when they came out of the ark. Genesis 8.15. Um, we're told that God said to Noah, come out of the ark with your wife, your sons, Their wives bring out every living creature that is within you. Then he says to them in Genesis 9 Be fruitful, increase, fill the earth. I now give you everything. He repeats those exact same words Realize its potential, become great, do something with it. It's the same mandate. We see the same thing come through all the way into the New Testament the ultimate restart, the ultimate regeneration. When Christ then takes his disciples and he says to them, hey, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. In the cosmos, all control of this world, every element of it has been given to me. And then he says, therefore, now you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm flipping between preaching and teaching. I can't wait to get into preaching. But let's lay a foundation. Make disciples of all nations, not in nations. Now, the process of making disciples of nations includes winning people to Christ and making disciples. But he said, no, I want you to disciple nations. The word disciple means shape, form, create, realize potential. You know, make something with this. We're called to actually disciple nations. Every element of this world You are called to influence, to shape. He says, I've got the authority. Here's a cosmos for you to go and overcome, to achieve something. And I'm giving you this power to literally shape the world. In the name of the Father, baptizing. Now, the word baptize means to immerse into something and then pull out when it resembles what it was put into. The word baptism, from the baptism of John to the baptism of Christ to the baptism of new believers in the Old Testament, was not a religious word. It was a word used by the Greeks, and they were launderers of linen. When they would take plain white linen, they would want to turn it into scarlet or or turquoise. And they would take the dye, the scarlet dye, and they would stick it into this, this bowl, of this vat of dye, and they'd pull out the cloth, and it would be a bit blotchy and they'd stick it under again, fully immersed. They'd pull it out, almost there, stick it under again, swirl it around, and they only would take it out when the color of the fabric was identical to what had been put into. And then they would say, this thing's been baptized. So we're told to baptize nations, your world, your school, your sports teams, your calling to be an artist, you're calling to be a lawyer, a doctor, a constructor, to baptize all that stuff into the name of the Father. The word name in, 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 the, in Greek there means nature and character. So we're to take our lives, our world, and this whole world and nations and immerse it into the nature of who God is. He's good. He's just. He's awesome. He's creative. And don't pull it out to it looks like him. It's the same cultural mandate. And he says, I'm giving you power, Acts 1 verse 8. I'm giving you authority to do this. And then we sit around. And like Pastor Nadia was saying, we have these elements in our life where we're like, you know, I'm doing good here, but gee, that sucks. You know, that's just, well, I'm losing at this. You're called to win in life, not because I'm a motivational speaker, but because I understand God's word. And I know it's his truth and a mandate. That you're meant to have the authority to realize potential, to become great, to be fruitful, to take every area of this cosmos, your world, and to immerse it into what God is like and pull it out and live in that. And that's what it means to overcome. And that's what it means to build something. You can tell I believe this stuff. Because I'm looking around this room and I'm thinking, what does it look like when every single one of you has every element of life and you're taking this and you're fulfilling this mandate of realizing, now I'm going to take you on the best part of the journey. I'm going to show you how to build a life and build this world, this life, God's way. Because he does things really funky. And I'm going to mess with your heads and I'm going to mess with your hearts Here's the key. When God said to Adam and Eve, I'm putting you into this world, and then you're going to realize its potential, you're going to make it fruitful, you're going to achieve something, you're going to accomplish what I've intended. He does something really interesting. He creates this world that is just huge. He creates an earth that is bigger than just a sort of like little 25 square kilometer. He doesn't create this, this little minute, microscopic world and say, Here, I've put you in this. And this is where our theology gets absolutely screwed up. Because we think God created the world as if all of it was the Garden of Eden. Mm-mm. When you read Scripture, you find that God created a world that was pretty much everything in raw, ordinary state, raw material. Hang with me on this point, because this will, this will set a lot of stuff up for you. God did not take Adam and Eve and put them in a perfected, finished world. <laughs> he puts them into this little area called the Garden of Eden that is probably some 50 square mile, 50 square mile area, and the Bible defines it differently. It says that God created the whole world he created all of creation, but he went to work and planted a garden within the small area. He perfected it. He made it fruitful. He realized its potential. It says he created food and trees and vegetation that was good for food, but also pleasing to the eye. He's not just a farmer. He's a landscape gardener. So he takes a small subset of the world, if we go to that second screen, he takes a small subset of the world, and he perfects it, he realizes the potential, he makes us amazing, and he puts man in it. And then we get this theory that God has basically created Eden like this ultimate retirement village. You see the adverts just like I see the adverts on TV before the news. Somewhere to bowl, and somewhere to sit and look at the sunset, and somewhere to be pampered. And we think like God's creation was like this retirement village where Adam and Eve are in this perfect place. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not biblical. God creates a world which has Australia here and Israel here and, and a little garden of 20, 30 square miles and then this multiple millions of square kilometers of earth. And he gives all the raw material creation, but he then perfects one little area. And then he says to man, go and do likewise. What I've done here, I now give you your life and your descendants' lives and your descendants' 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 lives to now go and do the same. Go be fruitful. Go realize potential. Go and do likewise. It changes our whole philosophy. It changes our whole way of life. Because what we have this mistaken thing is, is that we think work and creation and doing things is a result of losing a paradise. No, paradise was a prototype. It was a small subset where God then said, okay, this is what can happen. And this is what I want to show you. Everything in this cosmos that you're called to overcome, everything in life that you will be born with and that you will receive, you will only ever receive in an ordinary state. God does not give you a finished product. He gives you an ordinary product with potential to become fulfilled, accomplished, fruitful. You say, Pastor, I've just got an ordinary marriage. Yep, that's what you get. And then he says, be fruitful. Realize its potential. Make it great. Pastor, I've just got an ordinary life. Yes, you have. And then he says, now go and realize it's potential. Do something with it. Oh, man, I just got an ordinary job. I've just got an ordinary business. Yes, he's given you this raw material, but it's not just ordinary, it's got potential. The word potential means the ability to develop. When you put I-A-L on the end of a word, potent, I-A-L, I-A-L means it has a character of. When something has potential, it's got the character, the nature, of potent power. Your children are born to you as ordinary, raw material, filled with the ability to develop into powerful things. Your relationship, this couple that lead this church met each other in America on a ski field. They didn't have a perfect marriage. They didn't have a great marriage. They just had an ordinary relationship. They just started. Who they are today is not, What they were, it's what they did with what they were. They just had an ordinary attraction that became love, that became commitment, that became adventure, that became purpose. Your kids, you look at your kids. You know, I'm praying that you as parents will have the eyes to see the the Garden of Eden and your children. Yeah, well, they're, they're just pretty ordinary. Yeah, that's the same as my kids. My kids were born ordinary. But then we took on ourselves the mandate of the cosmos where God said, I have given you the entrustment. I've entrusted you two souls, in our case, David and Amy. Now, what are you gonna do to realize their potential? What are you gonna do to make them great? What are you gonna do? Hey, I've just got an ordinary job. I've just got an ordinary talent. Huh, of course you have. I love the books that tell us, you want to be great at something rather than ordinary, then put in 10,000 hours. You listen to these people who pick up a guitar and they just have this thing screaming licks and things. And it's like, man, how do you make that thing sound that way? Well, actually, they started with just like this ordinary ability, right? And then they started to realize its potential. It was in them. Someone else would not have been able to achieve that because that that, that wasn't their calling. That wasn't their, they didn't have that innate ability to be realized. What is yours? So what are you going to do? Just have an ordinary life? Or are you going to build something? So what I want to show you here is I want to show you the key to finding the potential in your life. Hashtag find the gold. Hashtag find the gold. You come back to the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, and you read this amazing, amazing statement that at first sounds pretty ordinary. It says in verse 8, we read that God put man in the garden. He put in the trees, good for food, pleasing to the eyes. Now listen to verse 10. A river watered the garden flowing through Eden. It separated into four streams. The name of the first was Pishon. Second was Havilah. Uh, sorry, Pishon, it winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there's gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin, onyx are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. The name of the third is Cush. The name of the fourth is Euphrates. Then God puts man and says, go to work. Take care of it. Again, it's interesting that God gave mankind this sphere, this area to start to develop. But he says, I'll resource it. I'll flow streams towards it. And I'll put it into a land where there is gold. Now, this is weird. I just read you a passage in scripture that was before man fell in sin. I just read you a picture of God's original intention of what life looks like. Did you notice he said, oh, by the way, where I've put you, there's gold and gold is good. I get mixed up with Christians that go on about with wealth. Is, is wealth good? Is wealth bad? Is money good or evil? It's like, what? Go back to the origin, go to Genesis before the fall of mankind, God said, look, I've put you in a land, it's, it's, it's raw, it's ordinary, it's got potential, and I'm going to water it, not with just one stream, because one stream can dry up in climate conditions, four. You know, some people here say, oh man, you know, I lost my job, where's the other three streams? Wow, everything was going really well, and, and then my industry changed, and I'm now redundant, where's the other three streams? Right? But then he says, not only am I going to resource your life, your cosmos, your relationships, your, your calling, this church, your, your mission, your interest, your hobbies, your passions. Not only am I going to resource it with all these various ways to keep it watered and growing, but I'm sticking gold all through the land. You've got to find the gold. Yeah. And then God says, the gold is good. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Now, now, when something's bracketed in Scripture or expanded where the gold is, and the gold is good. It's not because God's trying to get up his word count for his 500-word essay. My Bible tells me that if everything Jesus had done was recorded, the libraries of the world would not contain it. And yet, we get it in a book this wide. So God's issue is, what do I leave out of my Bible, not what do I put in it? So when he says gold and then expands, he's getting your attention. He says, the gold is good. Did you know before the fall of mankind, gold, wealth, resource, gold is good? After the fall of mankind, it simply became neutral. I could have a baseball bat, and we could be out of the park here, and we could go and play a game of, of, of baseball with the kids or softball. In our hands or in my hands, that baseball bat is good. It's an instrument of fun, sport, recreation, I forget when I pack everything up, I leave it next to the park bench, I I forget it, I drive off. That night, two stoners come in, right? Off their face, arguing, fighting. One of them hits the other, the other falls over, sees this bat, picks it up, smacks the other guy over the head, cracks him. In his hands, it was evil. You see, the baseball bat was always neutral. In my hand, it became an instrument of good. In his stoner's hand, it became an instrument of, of, of bad, evil. You've got to understand everything in creation is neutral. After the fall of mankind, it now is determined by whose hand it is in. Is business good or evil? Whose hand is it in? Are relationships good or evil? Whose hand is it in? Is music and the music industry? Is, 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 Is money? Is sport? Is politics? Politics, oh my goodness, too. Whose hand is it in? There are people in this room called to realize God's potential and pick up that instrument and in your hands make it good. But you have gotta find the gold. You have gotta find the gold. You see, the gold is there. Let me finish this session. We'll pick up more after morning tea. I wanna close this session by showing you a living example of this, of what it means to realize potential. If you have a look at the screen, we're going to jump to the screen. I want to introduce you to a man called George. George Washington Carver. George Washington Carver, although not well-known in our part of the world, is famous in the United States as being a black, African-American slave child born in slavery. And in the late 1800s, George Washington Carver, born in 1860 in Missouri, The son of a slave is famous in the United States for single-handedly saving the economy of the nation. How did it happen? In the 1860s as a slave, not only was he a slave, but uh, he lost his father and then his mother and he were kidnapped and sold into another slavery. His mother died. He was eventually returned back to his original owner just when the whole emancipation of slavery happened and he became a free man. His owner of the farm, a good-hearted man, uh, offered to keep him on and actually treat him like a bond servant, like a, a person who would be paid as a worker. In George Washington Carver's own autobiographies, he talks about being at the age of nine and finding Jesus as his savior. He walked into a barn and the farmer's son, little white boy, was on his knees praying and Carver says, I went over to him and asked him what he was doing. He told me he was praying and told me about God. Carver says, at the age of nine, I knelt down on my knees and all of heaven invaded my heart. He wanted to go to school, but there were no schools for the children of slaves or ex-slaves. At the age of 14, he eventually found a school about 15 kilometers away that would educate the sons of slave children, uh, sons of slaves. He would walk to and from each day three to four times a week to go to school. And on the way, he became fascinated with creation. He says, as a child, a teenager, I'd walk through, and I'd wonder why that rock is a different color to this rock. Why is this flower shaped differently to this one? He'd ask God, the God of creation, to help him understand biology and help him understand nature. He went on and eventually got a scholarship into a university, and there he studied biology. It all sounds pretty ordinary until something happened in the United States that decade. The massive collapse of the cotton industry that decimated the whole economy of South or the southern states of America. People had no answers. Farmers were committing suicide. People were going bankrupt. And the whole economy of the United States was failing because these crops of cotton, what they discovered was that the cotton, though the greatest crop and the greatest cash-yielding crop, was subject to taking nutrients from the soil and not replacing it. And within 10 years, it would literally rape the land and all these bugs and mildew and that. But George Washington Carver, the son of a slave, prejudiced against, still in the 18, late 1800s, went into a laboratory and said, if this is God's creation, there must be a solution. And so he started to work. And finally, excitedly, he discovered the answer to solve the biggest problem of North Amer- of America. With prejudice against him, he went to the councils, the farmers, he went eventually to the governments and said, I have discovered there's a crop, there's a plant you can plant that will within two years to three years fully regenerate the soil. And then you can plant cotton again alongside. And they're like, That's awesome. What is it? Next picture. Next slide, thank you. He said, The peanut. It by nature will create and regenerate the soil. And they laughed at him and they mocked him and they abused him. And they said, you're an absolute idiot, Carver. Nobody buys peanuts. There's no money in peanuts. They only pay for cotton. And they mocked him and laughed. He went away feeling dejected, yet knowing that this product, this plant had the ability to restore the land. And in his own autobiography written in the late 1800s, he tells this story. Think, hashtag find the gold. He tells this story. He says, as a young man, I'd walk through the forest and I would say to God, Father in heaven, would you reveal to me the secrets of the universe? And he said, God would say to him, no carver, your mind is far too small to handle that. He said, one day I asked God to reveal the secrets of man. And God said, Carver, I cannot do that. You would not be able to contain the the understanding. So this day, he says, I walked into my little laboratory, African-American slave boy. I got on my knees and I held up a peanut. And he says, God, if you will not reveal to me the secrets of the universe or of man, would you reveal to me the secret of the peanut? Over the next six months, God revealed to him the secret of uses, profitable uses of the peanut. He patented over 300 discoveries. Let me read them to you, or an abridged version. Next slide. Find the slide, guides. Thank you. Shoe and leather blacking, soap stock, soil conditioner, nitroglycerine, charcoal from shells, sizing for walls, eighteen various types of insulating board, eleven wall boards made from holes, linoleum, cleanser for hands, washing powder, rubber, coke, writers ink, printers ink, diesel fuel, illuminating fuel, lubricating. F- Um, oil, axle grease, plastics, metal polish, wood filler, gas, gasoline, glue, insecticide, coarse paper made from skins, newsprint paper made from vines, craft paper made from holes, colored paper made from vines, white paper made from vines, fuel briquettes, special peanut dye, paints, 17 wood stains, 30 different dyes for cloth, dyes for paint, stains, and by the way, those Crayola crayons that your kids draw all over the bedroom walls with, five of those colors are still patented to George Washington Carver. Peanut oil shampoo, Pomade for soap, antiseptic soap, toilet soap, tetraindranda cure, fat reducing cream, yes, all purpose cream, face powder, glycerine, face ointment, Pomade for scalp, shaving cream, oil for hair and scalp, shampoo, baby massage cream, face bleach, tan remover, vanishing cream, face cream, face lotion, hand lotion, and I haven't even started on 170 types of food patent, including peanut butter. Within six months, 300 uses for a plant that every farmer had said there wasn't a single one for because he got on his knees and he said, God, if this is your solution, then within it, within it, within it, there must be something of value. Find the gold. Martin, I've got an ordinary marriage. Find the gold. I've got ordinary kids. Yes, find the gold. I've just got an ordinary job. Find the gold. Just got an ordinary church. Find the gold. He places within your cosmos everything you need. As we close, final slide. I love this quote of George Washington Carver. He said in his book of the peanut, he said, I have discovered that anything, anything will give up its secrets If you love it enough, I have found this of the humble peanut and I've found this of the hardest soul. What do you love enough to give up its secrets? What do you love enough to find the gold? Pastor, I just love music. I don't know what it is. I just love music. Do you love it enough? Then call out its secrets. I love my kids. I love my church. I love this. It's tough, it's hard. In this world, you will have trials, pressures. But I've called you to achieve. Build, realize potential. Let's stand together. Father, I pray that there would be a release of your purpose into every sphere of our world. Lord, I thank you from the youngest teenager here, adolescent right through the senior's, that God, that you've placed us into this life and you've said, now go and fulfill your potential. Everything I give you, I'm not just gonna give it to you finished, I'm gonna give it to you raw, but I'm gonna give it to you with potential and I'm gonna grace you with streams of ability and I'm gonna give you an ability to find the gold that's in every single thing if you love it enough. So God, we call it out. There's not a person in this room that's exempt No matter what we've lost or what we've gained, whatever we struggle or what we're winning with, every single area of our life, you've called us to overcome. So, God, we commit this weekend that every sphere of life, every sphere of our life, we'd start to speak in and call out the potential. (laughs) Thank you, God, for not just giving us this retirement village to sit on our backsides. Thank you for calling us to be builders build us oh we love you Jesus we hope you enjoyed this podcast from life if you have questions or want to contact someone about this message visit lifenz.org